I'll invite you now to turn to uh, Matthew chapter 4, starting at verse 12. Matthew 4, starting at verse 12. And in your pew Bible, that'll be on page 962. Page 962. So let's read Matthew 12 and then talk about it a little bit. Now when he, Jesus, had heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light, and for those dwelling in the region and the shadow of death, on them light was dawn, has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from here, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. And he went through all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So how many, well, you don't have to raise your hands, but, but I assume some of you have been watching The Chosen. And if you haven't, I commend it to you wholeheartedly. This is something that will really bless you. You can watch the first season on, uh, it's now on Netflix, it's on Pri Amazon Prime. Uh, I think you can even watch it on YouTube. So yeah, you gotta have you know, a little bit of internet activity in your life, but you can also buy the DVDs and watch them that way. Unfortunately, I don't think you can get any tapes for your VCR. <laughs> Sorry if there are any of you out there. And they do actually show it in the motion picture movie house uh, from time to time too. So hopefully I've caught all the generations present with that. I would definitely recommend it to you. But here's a scene you can imagine in a new way thanks to this program that I believe is very faithful uh, to the real Jesus and the real story that is portrayed in the Gospels. And I just want to remind you that this whole time from the first of the year all the way through to Easter Sunday, I have a very specific goal in mind, and that is to draw as many of you as possible here and online into love with Jesus. Sometimes we forget that that's what this is all about, that, that church is not so much about me and my friends and the things we have in common or the religion we practice or a religious heritage or any of that. It's not about that as much as it should be anyway that the whole thing is about worshiping Christ because we just can't help it. And I don't know if you've had this experience in your life, 
I'm off script already, but I'm just telling you this from my heart, that there are people that I will submit to and, and give in to. Uh, the other day, I, I told my wife that I was pretty sure all the pets in our house know how to push over, what a pushover I am. Um, because they can work me over and I'll give them something that mom wouldn't give them. But that's because I just can't help it. I love them. <laughs> and I think that's where I would like to see us in our relationship with Christ. It's certainly where I want to be. To just love him so much that you don't even question it. You just do it because you can't help it. You love Jesus that much. This is what is, this is, what is meant for us. This is what the whole purpose of his coming and his death and resurrection and his indwelling Holy Spirit. The whole purpose is that we might be as crazy about him as he is about us. What wouldn't you do for someone that you were crazy about? And who could deserve your love more? That's why we're talking about him this way now. So let me get back on track here. Last week, we talked about John the Baptist identifying Jesus as the Lamb of God. And this was revolutionary in John's thinking. But you see, John is an advanced student in kingdom theology. He's way ahead of his contemporaries in his moment. And he has determined as quickly as anyone possibly could have in those days that God's plan is not to conquer through some sort of earthly victory, but to deliver and free condemned sinners, to deliver them with a pardon that Jesus would earn for them, even you and me. And he recognized that in Jesus when he said, behold, the Lamb of God. So that's what we figured out last week. And then people, now we're reading today, started following him. And I think it's fair to say that a lot of people followed him because his charisma was irresistible. Now, I'm using that word dually. When I say charisma, it is both a sort of secular term for somebody who's just irresistible in their outgoing personality and their charm and, and, and their eloquence and all of that. But charisma in the spiritual sense means that you are so full of the Holy Spirit that people are drawn to you like a moth to a flame or to a light. And so Jesus' charisma is, follow, is causing people to follow him. They can't resist following him. And yet these 12 who will be his apostles, and those are unique people. That's my understanding. People have, have uh, in different religious traditions, have different ideas about this. But I think there were basically 12 apostles. Yeah, you could say 13, I guess. But anyway, for now, we'll just assume that these 12 people who ultimately took up the mission of Jesus. And Jesus's vision after his resurrection were the apostles and everyone else is a disciple. It's a technicality. I'm content with being a disciple. I don't need to be an apostle. Although there are many ways that we can interpret ourselves and our spiritual lives as being apostolic in nature. So there are ways in which we can behave like apostles but that's a distinction that's kind of unique. So these people, these 12, Jesus has set them apart for a very specific purpose that Revelation and, and uh, other places in Scripture in the New Testament indicate is still being fulfilled by these 12 and through these 12. But 
what we are as disciples is a variation of various extensions of that ministry of the apostles. So what is it about these 12 guys that Jesus has set them apart for? I want to talk about that for a minute because the goal today is to hopefully understand that we are called to be fishers of men or if we broaden that term a little bit to say that we are, we are not here to passively receive the grace of God and the Holy Spirit and do nothing. We're not here to passively receive the word of God or to receive worship as something that benefits us. Rather, worship is an action that we are partaking in and participating in for the sake of our Lord. And our service is for the sake of our Lord. And that's what we want to explore here. These 12 were told that they would be fishers of men or that they would be those who would gather the people for Christ that he had come to save. And he is probably knowing deeply inside that they don't entirely get it. As I said, John the Baptist was an advanced student of the kingdom. He got it. He got it. And the scripture we read today indicates that that uh, things were unfolding according to Christ's timeline. Remember this about Jesus as we move closer and closer to the Easter season. Nothing happened to him or around him that he didn't already know about and he did not order according to his authority. Nothing happened that wasn't according to his authority. And so... If John was done with his proclamation of the Lamb, then John had no need to question Jesus. And in the same way, Jesus could say that you have lived for your purpose. And who knows? I remember when my daughter was born, and you know, this is the way my brain works, and if people who know me well are probably not surprised to hear this, but I was holding little baby Bethany in my arms, my, my first child, I was as, as uh, enamored and, and, and uh, you know, ecstatic as any newborn dad could be, and, and I was holding her, and this thought popped into my head that maybe I just served my purpose. What if? What if this was the reason I'm here? Well, he's kept me around for a while, so presumably there's more, but who knows? So the first lesson I would invite you to consider is John the Baptist's lesson. Is this how everything is supposed to go? And Jesus's answer will be, yep. Do you see the other signs? And John would have to agree. Now, the reason I mention that is because his 12 that he's called out of their fishing boats and the various other pursuits, they have been drawn by his charisma, but they, do they know what it will cost them yet? At this point in the story, do they know what the price will be for discipleship, let alone apostleship? Do they understand well, there's a sense that they must have thought, yeah, we may suffer in the short run, but eventually we're going to be the victors. You know, bottom rung on top, that sort of thing. In other words, they had a sense that Jesus was going to turn the world that they knew 
right side up again and put things the way they were supposed to be. And there's a pretty good chance that if they'd heard this talk of Jesus being the Lamb of God, they might not have quite understood what that meant to them and to their suffering and sacrifice. So they would take three years to figure it out. And it would be after the resurrection of Jesus and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit when they finally understood it and imparted it to us. We benefit from their learning and apostleship, and we benefit from the indwelling of the Holy Spirit so that we can grasp it a little more quickly. But do we? Do you understand the cost of discipleship? Do you understand the price you have to pay to be devoted to Jesus Christ with every fiber of your being? Do you understand that if you will worship and serve the Lamb of God, you too will have to be like a lamb led to the sacrificial table? It doesn't mean that for everybody. It doesn't mean that everyone will lose their life in the literal sense of physical existence. But if we don't lose our lives for serving him, then we're missing a huge part of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. I don't want to make this a commentary on Shiloh or churches in the community or even the greater church, but I have to say that if you're wondering what's gone wrong in the church as you have known it most of your life, if you're wondering how in the world things have seemed to have gotten so crazy, it's really simple in my mind. It's the worldliness of the church. It's the dedication to the kingdom of man instead of the kingdom of Christ. It's molding and shaping Christianity in our own image instead of shaping and molding ourselves into the image of Christ. There's the problem. And if you're thinking, well, you know, where'd all the people go? And, and what happened that the religion we used to practice got so crazy that we had to pull away from it before we went down in flames with it? I'm not here to make a comment about that. My point is, is if you happen to be thinking that way, I sure have. The answer is because we took our eyes off of Christ and started looking at ourselves too much. You can't let this be about you. The reason I'm desperate to help you fall in love with Jesus or fall in love with him again is because once you do, you'll start moving in the right direction and you'll see the benefits. But you will also experience the cost. There is a cost for being a disciple of Jesus. Now I have good news and bad news, and the good news is, is being a disciple of Jesus will probably cost you in ways that you can survive, that you can live with. It will mean that you may not keep the same friendships you once kept. It means that you might give up a few subscriptions or stop going to or participating in certain activities in your life. It means that you might change your habits. It, it means you might spend more time here, I hope. It means that you might do more for the sake of the things he cares deeply about than the things that you care deeply about. 
So some weekend you might decide that instead of going out on the boat or going uh, to, to the golf course or whatever, you're going to go do something for Jesus because his priorities are more important than your priorities. On the other hand, he may call you into the boat or out on the golf course or any place where you go for serenity so that he can impart more of himself to you in those moments. Only you can say for sure, but if it's costing you something, you're probably on the right track because discipleship always costs because we serve the Lamb of God. Jesus' goal is to make his message of the kingdom a reality here and now. And that's why in theological sense, we will refer to this as here but not yet or here but not now. It's, it's a way of saying that the kingdom of God is here. It's present in the sense that Jesus has come. He has opened it to us. His Holy Spirit is here with us and in us. And the more alive we are to him, the more firmly within the kingdom we are. And yet it hasn't been fulfilled to the extent where it has displaced the world. But that day is coming. That day is coming. And so it's here, but not yet. It's now, but not yet. In the sense that the more of us who are living and serving him, in love with him and dwelled by spirit and embracing his will for our lives and submitting ourselves at a cost for love of him, the more it's here. But it isn't altogether here until the song that we sang the song of the angels and the saints in Revelation is echoing all across the world. And there is no more evil. There is no more death. There is no more darkness. Here, but not yet. Now, but not yet. If you want the here and the now, then embrace Christ. Love him back. Open yourself to receive the Holy Spirit and to be born again. Open yourself to that. And yeah, it might be frightening in a sense because of what it might cost you or because there are unknowns. This is the very essence of faith, isn't it? So put your faith in him. If you haven't ever done so, put your faith in him now and take Christ at his word. Just believe that he'll take care of you, that it'll be okay. I remember, Laura, you remember when, when uh, gosh, it's been 32 years ago, when we were in our home church in Corridon and we made friends with a guy named Ntambo Nkulu, who was from then Tanzania. Now it's the Democratic Republic, or not Tanzania, but uh, uh, yeah, anyway, we'll just say Democratic Republic of Zaire. That's what I wanted to say, Zaire. And Ntambo was this very, very African man. <laughs> well, what with him being from there and all. But I mean, like, like, you wouldn't mistake him for a local person. You knew when you met him, you were meeting a very wonderful human being who was from another land. And I remember thinking in those days that I had never intended ever to leave this country. There were plenty of things in this country I could see to satisfy my curiosity. And then we got to know Ntambo. And the longer we knew him, 
the more I caved in in my resistance to the idea of going elsewhere. And finally, one day, and by the way, he had become so endeared to my children that he told them they should call him their big black grandpa. (laughs) And it suited him and them beautifully. And Tambo was very dark skinned, but very bright with the light of Christ, a beautiful human being. And I remember him saying to me on the last moment of our encounter when he went his way and I went mine, he said, you come and stay with me. I will take care of you. And I melted. I melted right there on the spot because it was like, you know, I believe you. I believe you. I believe that you will take care of me. You know, funny thing is, I've never been there. We did send our oldest son there, and uh, he came back, and he's fine. But this is what I mean when I tell you to take Jesus at his word. He's saying, I will take care of you. It will be okay. Don't resist anymore, because... Your life is so much richer when you will accept the cost of discipleship and live it for your names, for his name's sake and for your peace and happiness. To be a fully functional citizen of his kingdom, you have to surrender. And I pray you will before it's too late. And if you have, I pray that you will surrender more because you can't outgive him. Everything you sacrifice for his name's sake, everything you do for love of him, he will return overflowing. I've never sacrificed anything for Christ that I miss. It's all been worth it. And that's why I can't help loving and serving him. Let us pray. Oh God, you have heard my words. Now make in the hearts of your people your words stick. Let all the rest drift away like chaff on the wind so that all that remains is your expression in their hearts. Amen. Amen.